0: I always, tell, I always tell Tim whenever he's like, hey, can you come and preach? I'm like, are you sure? He's like, why is that? I'm like, because new vintage, you know, they're not used to seeing eye candy like this <laughs> on a regular basis. So I just want to make sure that there's not going to be a, a problem with that. And he says, I'll manage. Okay? Hey, so for what I do and the ministries I started, I travel a lot. Uh, I was in Oklahoma and Kansas this week meeting with a bunch of uh, smaller church pastors and church leaders uh, just about uh, changes in society. Uh, I, I, next, week, uh, next month, I'm going to Kansas City three times uh, because um, God is blessing me um, because the Chiefs are there, and they're playing today. I'm sorry, I expected shouts of joy and... Celebration or something like that. I guess not. I guess, you know, you, God bless y'all. Anyway, um, I, you know, and then I get to stay home and I get to work with some other churches and consult with them. But I'll tell you what, I am an extrovert. How many of you know your Enneagram? Anybody in here, the Enneagram, it's a personality test. Okay, for those of you who know me, this is not going to come as a surprise. I'm a seven. Okay. <laughs> Um, you know, and, and seven is really close to three. It's kind of in between in a sense. You can go either way on the Myers Briggs. I'm, I'm an ENTP. Um, but my E, my extrovert is 90%. So when my wife and I first got married, like our biggest fight was about time together because I just thought, Hey, let's go out and have a good time. She's like, Caleb, quit scheduling me. We need, we need time inside. We need time, you know, in the house. And I'm like, honey, your life was not fun until you met me, okay? <laughs> I have I brought a new season into your life, and I, and I keep things fun. I add spice and flavor. She just, again, stared at me and didn't say anything, um, which is not a good sign if you're not married, and you'll learn that later on. <laughs> but there's kind of community that I don't like. I've got to be honest, okay? And this community is called, well, you, you see it in a few different places, okay? One, you see it in the DMV, uh, forced community uh, With different people and you, Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about When you have to spend a lot of time there And you're looking at it Another one is jury duty And I sit there and I think to myself These are the people if I was on trial That would be deciding My fate We are in big trouble That's a nation I'm thinking This is a jury of my peers Anyway, um, And then the other one is the airplane Like, like I love people love God, love people, um, but God didn't say we always had to like them. And so, let me just tell you something. If if you want to see the depravity of humanity, if that's something that you ever doubt, fly on an airplane. I kid you not. Some of you are looking at me like, he's being so negative. I I can't understand why, okay? You're going to be on my side after this story. Okay, so I sit down and in the outside seat and I'm right there, that's where I park lady next to me really nice, seems like a normal person, you know sometimes it takes a while in the conversation to realize you're not sitting next to a normal person and I'm sure people think that about me too and we get to cruising altitude after we take off, home girl takes off her shoe and sock and starts clipping her toenails <laughs> right next to me I am usually not a rude person. But this is next level stuff, people. I just look over at her and said, Really? And she said, Oh, is this bothering you? I said, Yes, your toenail is on my shoe. And she said, Well, I guess I could do this later on tonight. And I said, hmm, let's go with that plan. (laughs) I'm a big fan of that plan. I said, ma'am, if it makes you feel better, that's where I clip my toenails, and I've done it that way my whole life. In my bedroom, by myself, not even in front of my wife, I clip my toenails, and things have worked out great. I had a couple start making out next to me. I told them I didn't buy tickets to watch them, Okay, thankfully I have not sat next to a horse yet because the FAA has made service animals that are miniature horses legal. I cannot wait till that happens. You know that's gonna be thrown up on the gram real quick whenever that happens. That's the kind of community that I'm just not a fan of. Keep the toenails to yourself. The weird people that think it's okay to walk barefoot into a commercial airliner bathroom. I have no understanding where you're coming from, okay? You you should just cut off your feet and save yourself some pain (laughs) after you do something like that. That's the kind of community I don't always like. Now, we're getting into Thanksgiving here, and that's the kind of community I like. And some of you are like, yeah, this is the kind of community I'd rather be on an airplane, right? Because some of these people, let's be honest, it's kind of like the DMV for some of you, you're like, I would not spend time with these people if one of my family members did not share DNA. And unfortunately, I'm the one that married into it, right? We all have those times. And so wherever you are going this Thanksgiving, I hope that it's a place where no matter who you're around, you can be thankful. You can be thankful who's in your life. Even if you're not around the people you want to be thankful for in your life, still be thankful for the people you're around, even if they're annoying, and be thankful for the other people that are not around, that maybe have passed on, or maybe you're not with this year, okay? But there's another kind of community that I want us to talk about today, and it is the church community. And, and first of all, there's the church community like the bigger seat church, the universal church, like the worldwide body of Christ, that, that where every single person who is a believer in Jesus we form the body of Christ, and Jesus is the head. I was listening to this radio TV preacher, and, and he will remain nameless. I was listening to him and, and, and hearing him preach, and I don 't know why, because he kind of makes me want to have an aneurysm and just end things right there whenever I hear him. But sometimes it's kind of like watching a fire. you can 't help but not watch. When I hear him speak, sometimes I 'm like, "Just what is he going to say next?" And then he said, some heresy, where I'm just like, well, oh. he said. The church is for Christians. Yeah, that's heresy. And some of you are like, no it's not. Oh, 100%, go read Philippians 2. The church is for God. The church is His. The church is comprised of Christians who equip and encourage one another to accomplish the mission of Jesus, sharing the gospel with unbelievers to the glory of God. That is what the church is. And we have community worldwide, even though we don't know it because we are in the same body. We are connected by the same Holy Spirit. In the same way, we also have community in our individual local churches like New Vintage Church. If this is your place where you serve, where you attend, and I know a lot of people are out already on Thanksgiving break this weekend. If this is a place that you call home, this is your community. This is the place where you find support. This is the, the place where we do life together. And sometimes that can be hard, right? It can be hard, because you're like, Caleb, you don't know some of the people in this church, okay? I do, okay? And if that's you thinking that, you've got to understand that there are people thinking, well, you don't know some of the people in, in my church, like that person over there thinking that about me, but I do. All of us have issues. All of us are messed up. But God, here's how God is perfectly glorified. He is glorified. He is glorified. When all of us come together with our messiness and our brokenness, and he unites us into one messy mosaic right. of brokenness, of a broken people who are surrendered to him, that is what glorifies God the most. He is glorified in our broken community. It doesn't always feel that way, right? Um, A friend of mine named Ray Johnston, who is the pastor at Bayside Church in Sacramento, said that everything in life has a blessing and has a burden. There are two sides to every coin, kind of like whatever your strength is, that's your weakness on the other side. It's not like your strength and your weaknesses are separate things and separate categories. No, they are tied together. Whatever your weakness is, and some of you know that, your strength is on the other end of that. And too often, our minds are drawn towards the negative. You feel that, don't you? We are so prone to focus on the negative. Maybe it's for protection. Maybe it's because we don't want to get hurt. But we are so prone to focus on the burden of something instead of the blessing that that thing has offered us. And specifically when it comes to the church, we are prone to think, even if, even if we go to the church on a regular basis, we are prone to think negative things about maybe our church, about that other church, about people in our church. And you can, you can focus on the burden. Every church you belong to There's a burden you carry with it. Every relationship you have, there are burdens that come with that relationship. I don't care how much you love that person. There are burdens that come with that relationship. And you can choose to focus on the burden or you can choose to focus on the blessing that that relationship offers you, that that community, that that church offers you. And so in our series right now, I, I want us to talk about that. How can we focus on the positive things about our community as we go into this Thanksgiving week? How can we focus on the blessing? How can we just stop focusing on the burden all the time, focusing on the blessing? Now some of you are like, I don't focus on the burden, I focus on the blessing more. That's great, but guess what? In life, it's a roller coaster. You are either going into a storm, you are in a storm, or you're coming out of it, but life is cyclical. God allows us to go through storms all the time, and when we are in the midst of heartache, it's during that time that we are able to really lean into the blessing, and too often we just focus on the burden. So that's what I want us to do. So today, we're going to look at Galatians 3, and uh, verses, and chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And because we had unplugged worship today, we're going to have unplugged preaching today. So we're not going to have any slides today. You're going to listen to me preach. Um, you're going to be okay doing that, some of you who are used to slides. Um, guess what? The church has gone along for over 2,000 years without <laughs> slides. So I think we're going to be okay today. And if it makes you feel better, we are not totally devoid of of, like you know, electronics, because I am speaking like this. Um, if I didn't have this and I just shouted, I would sound like a dictator, and we don't want that. <laughs> and so we're, we're and specifically today, I'm going to be in Galatians 4, and we're going to reference back a little bit to Galatians chapter 3. But just so you know, Galatia was not a country. Galatia was a region, kind of like Southern California is a region, okay? Well, you know, like for instance, I live in Simi Valley, you live in Escondido. You go to places in Kansas and Missouri, you say, I'm from Escondido. People are like, Escon what? That's right. I say, I'm from Simi Valley. They're like, oh, yeah, Silicon Valley? No. No. Sometimes it's just easier to say, I live in Los Angeles. Or it's easier to say, you know, to take San Diego and to make that more of an area. Like, I live in the San Diego area. I live in the Los Angeles area. That's what Galatia was. Okay, and, and this is the first book that Paul wrote. Okay, and when, when you read this book, you can see a couple things about Paul. First of all, he was younger. Second of all, he's more excited in this book than he is in his last letter, 2 Timothy. Right, because you read Timothy, he's very wise, and he's concerned and everything like that, and he's very wise in Galatians, but he's feisty too. Like you can tell, and he has every right to be, because the Galatians are actually uh, being lured away from the the true faith, from the way, from Christianity. They're being lured away by false teachers who are giving them a gospel and preaching the gospel that's kind of like Christianity but kind of not. And this is going on even into the end of the first century. Even John, after the death of Paul, when he writes 1 John, he's still having to deal with this. He's having to deal with these false teachers. And so the Galatians are too. And Paul's just really upset. Like I, I tell people this all the time. And I'm not saying that Paul was wrong. I, I believe in the, in, that the Bible is without error. But I think if Paul were around today, um, the dude would be on Adderall. I totally do. Because you read some of the things he says in here. I just wish those Judaizers would go out and emasculate themselves. It's like okay, Paul. Let's um. I want you to read this book by Dale Carnegie, "How to Win Friends and Influence People." Um, great book for you to take a look at, right? But I mean, he says things like this. He even even says, "Oh, you know, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you?" And I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm just saying that we say things differently. In our youth, than we do later on, right? Go read 2 Timothy and see how that feels to, compared to Galatians. Both are true, they're just written at different seasons in Paul's life. And so we get to Galatians chapter 4. And in Galatians 4, here's what Paul says, okay? Beginning in verse 1. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. Let's stop right there. Actually, you're, you're kind of slaves to a couple different uh, uh, to a couple different things in the world. First of all, the basic spiritual principles of the, of this world. You are slaves, and I am a slave to whatever society we've grown up in, to the norms of society to some degree. We're slaves to the norms of society, to the trends, to the political aspirations of people, to the platforms and the policies and the laws that are passed. Whether we know it or not, we grow up under that. We're slaves to some degree. Now that doesn't take away our, our freedom to make decisions. It's like the, the famous uh, psychiatrist who went through the Holocaust, saw his family murdered, and then ended up spending his whole life studying suffering. His name is Viktor Frankl. Wrote a great book, if you haven't read it, called Man's Search for Meaning. He said that you can take away many things from me, but you cannot take away the choice that I have to choose my attitude. And he says whatever is to, is to, is to show light must endure burning too. There's a reason why God lets us grow up under difficult circumstances, some of us, and that doesn't make what we grew up under right, but there's a reason. Okay, Not only does it form us more into who we are today and how we can help people, it shows us our need for him. But not only are we brought up under the spiritual principles of this world, we are also brought up under the law. Now, Now, if you're new to church, if you don't know what the law is, Um, out of like the, the whole Old Testament, which is a lot there, the law is comprised of 613 commands in the Old Testament, that if you wanted to be a perfect Jewish person following God, you had to keep these 613 commands. Dude, come on, just be honest. Look, look at me real quick. Those of you who are Christians, those of you who have, have been Christians since God was a boy, or those of you who are following Jesus, okay? Just look at me real quick. You have trouble remembering the Ten Commandments, don't you? <laughs> when it comes to the Old Testament books, just be honest, tell the truth, shame the devil. You have trouble remembering the order of all the prophet books, right? Especially the minor prophets. You're like, okay, Jobadiah is in there, and Zepha, Zepha, Zephanopolis... Oh, Zephaniah. Zephaniah is a book. Yeah, right? Aren't you glad that you don't have to remember all these things in order to be saved? I'm, I'm toast. I remember half of my wife's to-do list and get in trouble that night. Here's what Paul actually said about the law, going, uh, going back to Galatians 3, verse 24. He says that the law was our guardian, until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now the way of faith has come, and we no longer need the law as our guardian. You see, when, when Paul says the word guardian, it's actually the Greek word paedigogos. And paedigogos that Greek word actually, it referred to a teacher. If you lived in a first-century wealthy household and you were busy, you would need a nanny, too, or a manny, whoever. And so you would hire a slave guardian to come and basically raise your child you would leave early in the morning, you wouldn't get home until nighttime, your child had more of a relationship with the slave guardian than with you, but the slave guardian could not have emotional attachment to the child, could not care for the child, so the guardian was there to protect the child and to discipline the child, and that's it, and there wasn't any emotional attachment and you were under this slave guardian's authority in a wealthy household until you reached the age where you could go out on your own. And you didn't know what it was like to have a relationship with your parents, and some of you know exactly how that feels right now. You didn't know what it was like to have a, rela- a loving relationship and, and, and develop emotional attachment yourself. And in a weird way, you're kind of attached to the, to the, to the slave guardian, even though the slave guardian wasn't attached to you. You see. God says that that is what the law is like. The law was never intended to save you. Listen, you are not, hear hear me out on this. This is so important, especially going into an election next year. Okay? Yeah, now it got quiet. Everybody, look up here. You are not saved by your morality. I'm not saying you shouldn't be moral, but you are not saved by your morality. You are not saved by your wit you are not saved by any of that. You are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. That's right. The law was never written in the Old Testament. When you follow Christ, you can learn from the law. You are not held accountable to the law. Think about the law this way. Okay? The law was never intended to save you. It was intended to show you sin, the problem that you had, and show you the solution, Christ. Let's say that Caleb's in a horror movie. It's the beginning of the movie, and I'm driving down at nighttime in old Kansas, and I'm using this as an example because I was there this this past few days, an old Kansas dirt road, and there's a cornfield, and all of a sudden at nighttime, about 1 a.m., my car all of a sudden just stops, and the check engine light comes on. Okay, here's my thing. I, if I was in a horror movie, I wouldn't make it past the credits. <laughs> I'd be the person who heard something downstairs in the basement, and I said, I'll go check it out. <laughs> and, and so when, and so I'm waiting, you know, and i got to figure out what's, what's going on before the guy with the hockey mask comes out of the cornfield. So I pop the hood, and I can't see anything, so I grab the flashlight. And I take the flashlight to the front of the car, and the flashlight exposes the problem in the engine. But then I take it back to the trunk and look through the toolbox, and the flashlight exposes the problem, or the the tool that will fix the problem. Okay? That's what the law is. The law is a flashlight. You cannot fix your car with a flashlight The flashlight exposes the problem, and the flashlight exposes the solution. That's what the law does for you. That's it. Your relationship is with Jesus Christ. You were not saved by a bunch of rules in the Old Testament. You were saved by one event in history called the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is what saved you. And he is who holds you accountable. He is who defines you. It's like Paul says in in Galatians 3.13, But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on a cross, he took it upon himself. To be a curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Jesus Christ, God has blessed the Gentiles, aka the non Jewish people, with the same blessing he promised to Abraham, so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Amen. You are saved by the cross of Christ, you're not saved by a to do list in the Old Testament that to-do list showed you the need that you have for Jesus. Paul goes on in Galatians 4, 4. He says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, God sent him to buy our freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. You hear this, you are a slave to Christ, you are a follower of Christ, but hear me out on this. You have a place at the table. Some of you are alone this Thanksgiving. You have a place at God's table. You have a place in this church. You have a place in this community. Some of you in this room, you are going to be spending time with people this Thanksgiving, that you don't want to spend time with, hear me out. You have a place at God's table. You are always there. You have a place in this church. And those of you who are with people that you love this Thanksgiving, you remember that is not your only table. You have a place at God's table. You have a place in this church. You are a part of this community. And if you feel out of place, whether it's in your own family, whether it's in society, and you haven't been to church in a while, and somebody invited you today, and you're like, this is a lot different than what I thought of, and the dude up there isn't wearing a robe, he looks like he's from Amarillo, and so, (laughs) or or not. You're like, the dude looks like Truman Capote. You think to yourself, God has made a place for me, even though I feel out of place. I have a place in this community. And hear me out on this. If you have a place in this community, if you are already plugged in, it is your responsibility to go out beyond these walls and to help people find community here. Because here's the deal. I'm going to let you in on a spoiler alert. want a spoiler about faith and life. And this thing we call evangelism. A lot of syllables there. Here's a spoiler alert. People find and follow Jesus better in community than they do by themselves. People find and follow Jesus better in community than they do in isolation. When they feel like they're all by themselves. Paul says in verse six, and because we are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father, that is such a personal Hebrew word. If you were not a Christian and you were a Jewish person and you read Paul, that right there, and you saw Paul call God Father, you'd be like, how indecent. You need respect. And God's like, I want you to treat me like a loving father because I look at you as my kid that I delight in. And I know you don't always feel it, but it's true. Verse 7, now you are no longer a slave, but you are God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. You see, you inherit the Holy Spirit. You inherit grace. You inherit a promise of life beyond this life. Like, I don't fear death, and I've told you this before, I am terrified of peacocks. I'm terrified of the chiefs losing, which seems like more of a reality lately. I am terrified of hearing another song by Nickelback. Death does not terrify me. Because I know that when I open my eyes, I will be in the presence of my Father. And I know that whatever pain I felt on this earth or leading up to that moment, I will not remember. But here's a cool thing, okay? If you follow Jesus, you also inherit the church. The church is not for you, but you become part of it and we inherit each other look at the person next to you okay that that means you actually turn your head look look at the person on the other side look at the person in front of you in front look at the person behind you turn around okay all these people belong to you You're like, I don't know how I feel about that one. (laughs) You're like, oh, sit in a different place next time. (laughs) But it's the truth. We inherit each other. One of the things that I love about being a Christian—I mean, there are many things I don't like—and some—and you know, I heard this one guy say one time, "Wouldn't it be great, even if there was no Jesus, to be a Christian?" No. You know why? Because I don't like saying no to myself. I want to say yes. And some of you are like, I don't get that. Oh, yeah, you do. Tell the truth. Shame the devil. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Christianity is about denying yourself, loving God more than, more than anything, loving people, and putting their interests above your own. Here's the deal. What I love about it, though, is that I'm not alone. I have brothers and sisters that I'm connected with all throughout the nation, all throughout the world. I have a spiritual family of which this world does not know the magnitude. And God works through each other. Here's what I want you to understand today. As, I, as, as we get ready to close here, here's what I want you to understand. We inherit each other. Yes, you are saved by the grace of God. You inherit so much, but we inherit each other. We inherit a community of faith. That's why at my church, I lead a, a small group of high schoolers. Eight twelfth graders. I love them to death. They are complete morons. <laughs> I, love them. I love them to death. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. One example? Here you go. Okay? One of them texted me a few weeks ago. Hey, Caleb, um, My girlfriend's going to be, and you'll see why I'm talking like this. They don't all talk like this. Actually, none of them talk like this. But you're going to see why I talk like this in a second. Caleb, my my girlfriend's going to be, her parents are out of town uh, this coming Friday. She invited me over to watch a movie like around 9 o'clock at her house. Do you think I should go? (laughs) Now you know why I'm talking like that. (laughs) That's a moron question. I texted back. I think that sounds like a great idea if you want to be a dad. Exactly. <laughs> he texted back five minutes later, dude, I don't think I'm going to go. <laughs> I texted back, wise decision. Right? No, no, yeah, they're more orange. But you know what I love? You know what I love about that? He felt the freedom to text me. My guys have told me things that I will never tell anybody else. Because they know they can trust me because we have community. You can have that community here. You can have that community within the body of Christ. It is up to you how connected you are. Don't expect to have that community if you just come here and you're not involved. And then say, Oh there's no community in New village. You don't care about me. God would say, look in the mirror, dude. You and I inherit each other. This Thanksgiving, be thankful for the person sitting next to you, across from you. But think about today. Think about the people here. Think about the people here last week and the week before and the week before that. You be thankful because we inherit each other. And if you are not a Christian yet, understand this. You don't have to be alone. You can talk to somebody here afterwards. We would love to tell you about what it means to follow Jesus. And one thing that we do here and and this really more than anything symbolizes the community is we participate in communion every week. So if uh, guest services or ushers want to get up and get ready for that, we take communion here every week and if this is new to you, if you're not a Christian, don't feel like you have to take communion. Let, Let the tray pass. But understand why we do this. We believe that the juice and the cracker remind us of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our sins. And when we take this, there are numerous millions of Christians who take it every weekend and every week as well. And we are gathered around the same spiritual table. And so as we start off Thanksgiving week, I don't think there's anything better that we can do than to sit at the spiritual table with each other and our brothers and sisters throughout the world. And so as we get ready to do this, I want you to use this time, whether you're taking communion or not. Again, if you're going to let it pass, let the tray pass. There are going to be several of us who do that for one reason or another. But spend this time and think about the people that you are grateful for. And thank God for them. And most of all, think about Jesus. Amen. And be grateful for him in this moment. He has given us the community, the connectedness that we need because through grace we inherit each other lord thank you so much for today i pray that we would be people that would be committed to you and committed to one another as we gather around the metaphorical spiritual table to take the juice and the bread which remind us of the body you gave and the blood that you shed for our sins May we be reminded that we were not saved to be independent. We were saved to depend on you and to depend on one another and to encourage each other and that we were saved to be brought into the church not to be a critic of the church. It's in your son's name I pray, amen.